show. This is Liam Garrow bringing you, wouldn't you know it, another episode of Deep Feels. Hi, everybody. I hope you're having a lovely Monday. I'm going to be upfront with you. I've been put through the goddamn ringer. I had COVID. I somehow managed to be a person in summer in the year of our Lord, July 2022, to get coronavirus. Comparatively speaking, I suppose I managed to walk away pretty unscathed. It wasn't anything too dire or dreadful, but man, the first 24 hours, I really did feel like, okay, well, this is the end for me. Um, On the show today, we'll probably get into it with him because I apparently don't know how to interview someone without talking about myself. Zach Zimmerman, a wonderful New York-based comic. He's here to talk about everything he's got going on. There's a new book, you know... Just him being his lovely old self. He's hilarious. He's wonderful. I can't wait to get talking to him. But before we get into that, as always, we want people to be rating, reviewing, and subscribing to this show. Every little bit counts. It means a world. It means really the world to me. Wow. Almost made it an intro without making a mistake. Almost. I'm at Liam Garrow across all socials. Be sure to follow me there. But let's stop belaboring the GB point. Let's get to Zach Zimmerman. Yes, Zach. Yes, yes, yes. Here he is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Hey, how are you? Oh my God, I'm great. How are you? Oh, good, good. Just got out of the shower. I don't know if you're doing video, but I'm a wet little dog. Listen, you know what? This is good. This means that you are um, maybe at your most alert. Maybe it means that you had a shower epiphany. Mentally, you're going to be firing on all cylinders for the interview. Is this <laughs> all true? All true. And what are we drinking? Oh, a uh, Dunkin' Donuts cold brew. Fantastic. Second of the day. Second. Well, I guess it is four o'clock where you are, so that makes sense. You're in LA. I'm. Uh, I'm. No, you're I'm, in Canada. I'm in Canada. I'm in what's called North LA, which is Vancouver. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it's kind of like it's like LA, but like. Um, more nature and imagine if no one knew how to drive. That's how I would describe Vancouver. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. I, was, I wanted to go to Canada so badly this year, but I will not be, or at least for now, not. Well, now walk me through. Well, there, I feel like things are kind of opening up. Like touring seems maybe not totally improbable. Oh, um, oh just for the, um, there's a comedy festival soon that I, I'm not a Shit. part of. But that would have been the big, a, a reason to come. But I have at least one fan in Toronto, if you're listening, who... So, do we know their name? No, just okay. the twink from Toronto is oh. how. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm sure that's probably how they prefer to be known as well. Oh, I agree. Yeah. Um, but I, lo- I love, I've only been to Montreal. Never Vancouver, but it sounds uh, lovely, except for the driving thing. Well, yeah, it, I think the thing about Vancouver with driving is just like it... <laughs> Vancouver really toes the line of feeling like feeling like big town and small town, so there are things that lend like that lend itself to f- having a big city feel where you're like it has all the amenities that you want and it's like built up and there's industry here and isn't that wonderful. But then also like the small townness is kind of like you know when you grow up in a small town and people are like we kind of just do what we want here on the roads because there's no one really around, so we're just kind of like it's the wild west a little bit. So people have, I think, that mentality here, but also you're like, but also like, you know, they're sure there are street signs that should be obeyed and you almost hit me. You know what I mean? Like, it's a lot of that. It's a lot of that. Right, right, right. But now, honey, all of that aside, how are you doing? 
I'm great. I'm great. Yeah. I'm well, thanks for asking. Well, you're catching me at an interesting moment because I am absolutely coming out of the fog of COVID. And so this- You had COVID? I somehow managed to be a person in July, 2022, in the year of our Lord, to get COVID-19. And so I, I'm feeling like fine, but like the, I think I'm still feeling like the residual sort of like COVID brain fog a little bit. Oh yeah. Did you ever get COVID? I had COVID twice. I got it in twice. February 2020 before the lockdown, before <gasps> we knew what it was. It, uh, I took a flu test. The doctor was like, it's negative, but it's the flu. But it was unlike anything I've ever had. And then months later, sort of got the antibody test. And I think not knowing it was COVID is what allowed me to weather it sort of without the weight of the world changing. So right. I feel like I could have caused myself more stress and not have come out of it. And then I got it again last year and with Omicron, um, which was much milder, but oh yeah, it's an awful little virus. Yes. I mean, I, I mean, my round with it has been like, comparatively speaking, pretty mild, but like the thing that I'm noticing, and I'm sure it was the same for you, like it does do a toll on you mentally where you're like, I'm just inside my house and I can't see anybody. And you feel like it really, it immediately shrinks down your life. And it, like, that's the part that makes it like, uh, that really kind of like oh, fucks me up a little bit. The isolation part? Yeah, or? yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah, for sure. And symptomatically, when you added that first time, that was that pretty brutal? Oh yeah, I was in bed. I was sleeping. I lost oh. a lot of weight. I was in bed all day. I finished The Good Place season four, so that was nice. Perfect. I, I strangely, as a kind of a hypochondriac, but also as someone who I know how to take care of myself when I'm sick. And so I weirdly like, like being sick in that way. Or I like being and knowing I'm sick and not having any other choice. It's like, oh, okay, I know how to take care of myself in this situation. It's the right. gray area where it's like, oh, I have a little bit of cold. I'm being kind of mean to myself. I'm not being more productive. But when I'm like sick, it sucks. But psychologically, I know, oh, I go get medicine. I lay down. I rest. But there's that weird middle where you're like, should I be more productive? What, how, like, I don't know if that's. No, that does make sense. Because I think I would, I would imagine that a hypochondriac would really thrive being sick because they're like, oh, I know how to take care of this. I've been preparing for this day my entire life. Yeah, there's a vindication. Like, I was right. I was I right, yes. It. Yeah. Yes, yes. So that's the weird, I have that relationship with doctors too. I like, like going to the doctor more than I should. So I've tried to learn to wait a week or a month or two weeks, monitor a thing rather than rush to the doctor for that sense of, that rush of relief when they're like, the test is negative. You don't have anything like that. that. Are, but when you see the doctor, are you also, do you put yourself a little bit in the shoes of like, I'm also a doctor, like really like being vigilant about going over the chart of like, okay. And so walk me through uh, these, uh, these polyps, they're benign. Okay. Like, oh, are, you, I, are you like, do you really relish that role? I, uh, I definitely do my research before I go so I that I have it. some sense of the possibilities, but I do, um, Usually, I like the care or being taken care of or letting someone else be in charge of right. me for a moment. Like, oh, someone else tell me what's going on inside of my experience. Yes. Well, now I have to say, since you and I have been in touch, because I feel like you and I probably 
came to know each other sort of like earlier pandemic days just through like the Twitter sphere. And it's been very exciting watching you because I have to say you've like really blown up on there over the last, you know, year or so. And then now on TikTok, like every single time you post a stand-up clip, like people go crazy for you. This is very exciting, Zach. I'm I, I'm enjoying uh, getting to share my art with more people. I said yes. at the beginning of the year, I was like, you know what? I'm going to start sharing these little clips two a week for the year, no matter what happens. And so I'm grateful they're getting some traction. Otherwise, I'd still be doing it and feeling a lot worse about myself. I'm sure. Well, because it is that weird thing where you're like, it shouldn't matter because you should like, I don't know. In a perfect world, we're all just working just to like work and to get better. And like, yes, of course. But like, let's also not uh, ignore the fact that like when people sort of in by the swarms sort of are saying like this is wonderful we're enjoying this it's like oh thank god thank yeah god. i mean we, we make for lots of reasons and one of them is to like have other people share and enjoy it but so, it's so funny part of me doesn't actually realize other people are like enjoying the thing it's really just i like making a I like having a thought making a thing and putting it out there but then someone will message me like hey i like go back to these clips and like rewatch them every now and then Aww. to like get a little little happy rush in my day. And so it's like, I know consciously that people are laughing and enjoying a thing, but I think I maybe underestimate that that does bring people joy. Like you can't, I can hear the laughs in a room with someone. Yes, of course. Like, oh, I made that crowd laugh. I made them have a good time. Right. But online, you're just seeing like a number like, oh, okay, this got x views it's got x likes and you go into a different right. mode like, it's I don't very get impersonal it's app. like it's very vacuous in a way yeah except for like the dms and when it's like actually meaningful i feel like it's very easy to watch a thing i'm excited for when the book comes out because i feel like that'll be like oh no these are people who actually like deeply want to engage with my brains is or like here's something i have to say they're willing right. to like spend money no like shade to like people who consume free content but no but it's I a different level of investment of course it is it's sort of and it's passive too like people on tiktok are just like oh the algorithm gave me ah, ha, like it like totally. it like it but i i'm very grateful that people are sharing and liking things and uh i've made no money from any of it so lest anyone think <laughs> someone seeing your views except facebook does a weird thing instagram's giving some people money but not a lot i think that's always one of those things where i'm always shocked to find out like how little it is when they're like yeah. we're gonna give you 10 cents for every million views you're like that really is not doing a whole lot for me i would actually rather make zero dollars than 10 yeah. cents if i'm it honest. has like improv vibes like in the improv theaters who used to make people perform for free and then charge Ugh. the audience tickets it's like oh you're being sold like we're all creating free TV shows for TikTok and the only person making money is Mr. TikTok. Yes. And then also maybe you're getting brand deals and things from that. So that's the, maybe. But then you sound like a monster for being a little critical of it. It's like, no, like enjoy your likes or whatever. But like, well, I mean, and I do notice the only person you do follow on TikTok is um, the Olive Garden. So can I assume that you're really looking to them for a brand endorsement? Here's hoping. Here's hoping. I made that, that was like an easy choice. I was like, this is a new platform. One of my least, one of the hardest things for me, <laughs> I spend too much being like, okay, do, who do I follow? Who should I not follow? Do I have to follow every comedian? Do I have to follow 
every person that identifies as a comedian? Do I just follow people I like? Do I just follow my, my friends? Should I follow every celebrity that's already existed? Like that's how my brain works. And right. so I was like, I'm, this one's just me pumping out my shit. So I'm just that's gonna right. follow the Olive Garden. What is it about the Olive Garden that speaks to you? So my mom uh, is a Red Lobster server and yes. has been for 40 years. And they used to be owned by the same company, Darden Restaurants. Oh. And so my family, my mother would get, I believe, I think it was a 20%. I feel like 40 is too much. She got a substantial discount uh, when we'd go to the Olive Garden. And so that oh. became the site of birthday celebrations during my childhood. I went there for my high school graduation. It sort of, it has like a, Obviously, I'll be critical of it. It's a chain restaurant. It has problems. Um, the foods compared to some Italian food in New York, it's a very different experience. But it lives in such like a nostalgic place. Yes. I'll just defend it to the death. It, it's an ironic enjoyment, but it's so wrapped up in my past that like I will de yeah, defend her to the death. And wait, where are you from? I grew up in Roanoke, Virginia. And when you were there, did you like, was that like you were there your entire childhood kind of like moving until you moved to New York? We did, uh, yeah, zero to 18. And then to 18. Uh, went to Princeton in New Jersey and then Chicago did a lot of improv comedy and sketch comedy there. And then I've been in New York the past five years. And when you're in Virginia, I'm curious to know, like, is like, is there a comedy scene there? I know so little, but you'll have to forgive my ignorance there about this. I left it at 18, so I don't know, but I, I, I'd imagine there's probably a couple clubs, but I don't actually know the answer to that. Did I you leave, did you leave knowing comedy. you were going to do comedy, though? Was that, like, the goal? Uh, n no, I did theater in high school, and then when I got to college, I got into improv comedy. Did you do any of the high school plays? I did a lot of high school plays. <gasps> what were your high school productions? I would love to know. I uh, was the man of La Mancha. <gasps> the man of La Mancha. Oh. Reverend Shaw in Footloose. I played Dr. Spivey in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. And I was cast as the lead in Blythe Spirit as a freshman, but when I read that he had to say hell and damn and stroke the hair of a woman, I refused. Wait, really? Oh yeah, I turned that down. That was Satan trying to tempt me. And then by so, senior year, I was doing like drag and I was doing all kinds of stuff. Well, now wait a minute. So you grew up then quite religious. Yes, I was raised evangelical Christian. See, that's a very, it's funny. Like I've said this to like guests from the States who have come on the show before, like, okay, there is of course religion in Canada obviously, and there are many conservative factions of religion, understandably, that exists everywhere, but, like, there is something, like, in hearing that, like, that does sound so distinctly American to me, that experience. Like, I've, I, seldom is the case that in Canada, even when I've spoken to someone who's grown up religious, like, it has not seemed to have, um, as let's say overbearing or not even overbearing, but as sort of prominent an influence on their life that it would sort of like dictate even like, well, I'm not going to do this school play then. Mm -hmm. um, and so like, there's an element of this in spite of you just being like, but a border away, like that feels very sort of like counterculture to me in a way. So when you are, I mean, so first of all, when you are so sort of like 
staunchly religious, are you also simultaneously aware that you're gay or did that sort of happen later? It was later. Also, yeah. I, in, uh, in college is when I really started to understand identity in all its forms. Right. Um, and became atheist, queer, vegetarian, all sort of at once. Um, really? Being, I guess it was a gradual, maybe behind the scenes, some working, but I feel like being removed from an environment and put into a different one gave me a chance to sort of be like, oh, these, this doesn't make sense, these beliefs that I had. Like, I'm defending them. I started to see, oh, there's other ways to engage with the world. Right. Um, and it really was... Uh, and I guess alcohol and drugs and being around other people. It's kind of the quintessential uh, liberalizing experience you'd imagine college would do. It's like, oh, it, right. it did it for me. It's like, I was a straight meat-eating believer. Now I'm a queer vegetarian atheist, all thanks to, you know, the heathenizing Princeton University. Uh, yes, I think that is what it takes though sometimes. It is just like, you know, I, I think like for so many people, university is actually like a very radical experience because it is like the first time they're really sort of thrust in an environment where like, not only is there the sort of uh, exact counterpoint to the way that they were raised in terms of an ideological system, but then also you're just like, all of a sudden there's like this, this sort of like melting pot of a bunch of different ideologies. And so then it's kind of like, oh, it's like, for lack of a better term, it's like, oh, it's all the colors of the rainbow now of like, it's like, it's not just the sort of like one sort of like broad stroke of like, and we believe this one sort of like, mm -hmm. I don't know, set narrative. Did you, I, cause I've heard a lot with a lot of people when they do sort of, um, I don't know, move on from religion that that is kind of difficult. Cause it does also mean like, there's like a loss of community there. Was that your experience or because you had also moved, did you not really contend with that sort of mm, harboring of those feelings? I, I mean, religion does a good job bringing people together. I didn't have like, a, it, it more played out in my family relationships probably. Like I didn't have like a church group that I loved to death. Like right. we, it was kind of just a relationship with you and God and the fear and horror that comes with that. But yeah, I do think as the world is secularized more and more. I mean, the we're reckoning with like what it means that God is dead. How do we find new ways to sing songs together and uh, uh, have have a chosen family? Um, but I, I, I guess I, yeah, I don't miss a lot of it, but I am craving some sen bigger sense of spirituality. I definitely like look for meaning around me at a deep level and think about the purpose of life a lot more than I think someone who might have not had that traumatic upbringing uh, mm. and then abandon it. So yeah, if you know of like a good secular humanist community other than um, I guess gay bars play that role or uh, volleyball teams or something, but. Also very gay. Also. So good. Well, it's funny because even it's funny. I'm listening to you say this, and I think actually, like weirdly, that desire for a kind of I don't know connection even lives in your comedy. Because of course, look, like every comic when they're on stage, you're speaking to an audience. I mean, that's sort of I think the thing that is the constant that we can say is true about every stand up when they're on stage. But like, there is a way in which I find you address the audience where like you really do want to involve them like it does feel like um it's not 
I don't know how to, I don't know how to uh, describe this articulately. Like, it feels like there is like a real transference of energy. It's not just like you are talking at them, you're saying your jokes, and then you're walking off stage. Like, it really does feel like you're trying to bring them into something. Is that, first of all, A, do you agree with that? And then if you do, is that, is that conscious or is that just sort of what's happening organically? I'd say maybe a little bit of both. I guess I'm flattered. Like, that's certainly a goal. I, I, can only be present with people. And I do think there is something religious about being in a room as a collective, uh, laughing together, thinking together. And there's something kind of beautiful about like transcending yourself. Uh, and the comic is, we're all trying to get to that laugh and the comic and the audience are working together to like unite insight. And so there's a, can be beautiful moments when you I mean, observational comedy would like name something silly, like uh, uh, a cup of coffee. And then everyone suddenly has the same image and we all have the same experience in the world. We feel a little closer together as a group. Or if you reference something that happened previously in the show, there's that laughter of like, oh, we're all in this room together. Like, that's so cool. We were here in the past together. Like there's so much really cool community building, temporary community building that can yes. happen on yes. the show. I guess, uh, I mean, basically it's celebrity worship. It can become that where you have a community surrounded by worshiping a figure like BTS or Lady Gaga or a comedian. Like they create these little communities around that. Um, but that's less, maybe that's valuable to people. I don't know. I'm feeling very <laughs> academic and scholarly, but. No, it's good. Well, I think, I mean, I, I think it's valuable. I don't know. Like I, I have a very mixed I have very mixed feelings sometimes about sort of uh, idolization, if not only for the fact that like, I do, because here's the thing, it's existed forever, right? I mean, we can look at religion as an example, and then we can like look at sort of even, I don't know, culture throughout the years. Like we're, as a society, there are always like, you know, select personalities that we are sort of looking towards because we either have decided that they are incredibly powerful and or intelligent and or talented and or make us feel a certain way. And I think that ultimately is good because, of course, like I forget not everyone's sort of in our position where it's like, you know, we live in larger cities, we have places that we, could, that we can go and we have, um, you know, environments that are sort of built into our lives that sort of can help give us a sense of community that we're looking for, but like, and not to wax so poetic about this but that there are people of course who live in situations where that is so not their situation like I sort of think you know for people who are like well why does pride really matter I mean you know look how far we've come it's like well but you know not everyone lives in New York or San Francisco right so actually a pride parade might actually be very meaningful for someone who's feeling very closeted or feeling like they need to sort of hide who they are in whatever sort of small town they might live in right and so I think about you know, idolization then even of like a celebrity might be really useful to someone because it helps to give them a sense of like hope that they can accomplish bigger things that they can, you know, but I, I do maybe start to find it ick when then people start building whole personalities around liking a person. Like that's when I kind of, am like, that's when it sort of turns me slightly. And I think that's actually the reason why I sometimes have an abrasive relationship with religion. Cause I'm like, Oh, uh, if people, yeah. You know, if people just, you know, if people were religious and they were like, this is my set of beliefs and that's just what, what I, how I feel, I'm like, oh my God, wonderful. But then when people are like, and now you should fucking burn in hell, I'm like, and you lost me. You lost me. 
or well, what you were actually saying was about if God, if religion is throughout their whole, it's their soul personality. Good morning. Yes. God is here. Or yeah, not necessarily just the like um, the sending of people to hell, which right. has softened. It's so interesting. Um, I In the pandemic, I went back and I listened to some sermons of the pastor I had growing up because they were putting them all online. Oh, and wow. even he softened in how the amount of like hell focus of people's sermons um, got a little gentler. I don't know if it's getting worse, but there was a lot more fire and brimstone like when I was growing up. And now I think the church, maybe like they lost some people and they're like, okay, we need to like recalibrate. Maybe we talk more about God's love rather than God's wrath. Um, it's really, I mean, it's one of the, yeah, big themes of like the book's called, is it hot in here or am I suffering in hell for, or am I suffering for all eternity for the sins I committed on earth? So Mm -hmm. I think a lot about like the role of hell and what, how in one way it's like child abuse, I think to introduce that concept to a small child, like when their brain's still forming is really toxic and dangerous. Um, Right. To be so led by fear. Right. Yeah, it is. Oh, it's 100% fear. I do think that there's two forces, there's love and there's fear. And I had a very fearful child. I mean, there was a lot of love, but there was a lot of fear, self-imposed and externally imposed. So I have like a 20 year blueprint of fear. And that's what I've been like unlearning or reckoning with or learning to uh, manage as I enter this second chunk of 20 years. Well, and when you did sort of move away from religion by the time you were in Princeton, how did your folks handle that? There was a lot of yelling. I came to it from like, I like, I started taking a Bible class and just reading the Bible critically. Uh, So I studied religion in college and then I was bonding a little with my dad over that, but I was being more critical. And so I think eventually once I was like, no, I don't believe this anymore. There was like a fair amount of, yelling early on and my angerness towards them i wish i had kept more of a journal back then um but there was a yeah period especially when i first moved to chicago i didn't go home for many years there was texting with my mom but i've only started to rekindle things with them or learn some boundaries about what we do and don't talk about uh Mm. the past few years it's a yeah a constant work in progress even this week my dad was like he'll send like religious videos uh, through, or he sent one that was like climate change uh, is a hoax. And I was like, our birthday is a hoax because you missed my birthday yesterday. And then he called me and was like, oh, sorry, I missed your birthday. Wow. <laughs> so we're able to be a little uh, uh, playful now with some of our beliefs um, or knowing that we're so fundamentally different. They're right. never going to change. Or it's a, a thing I think about a lot is can people change? Do people change? How can people change? Are we always changing? Are we just revealing what was already inside of us in terms of identity and what we believe? Um, Do people change at a glacial pace, like water, like chipping away at a rock in a ravine? Or can there be these climactic moments of realization? Does it take drugs? Does it take trauma? Does it take... Uh, grief to change someone. I, I mean, I all, I often think about that as well. And I think the big thing that sort of uh, is required for, for change, frankly, is also like desire. I mm. think people want, want to change and they want to sort of learn something. And I think a big part of why 
people don't is I was having this conversation with someone recently where I think, you know, people cannot handle learning something that might actually mean that they were wrong. And more Mm -hmm. than anything, I think people cannot stomach that they might be wrong about something. And then if they admit that they're wrong or, or if they, if they admit that like, Oh, I made a mistake or that it's actually so invalidating then to their existence. Cause then it's like, Oh my God. So then these years that I sort of was, quite literally or not, preaching whatever set of values. And like, well, what was all of that for then? If I, if I wound up to sort of just kind of unravel that in my, you know, my 30s or my 40s or my 50s, my so on. So, you know what I mean? Yeah. I think I have a lot of, because I was a version of wrong for my first two decades of life, I have so much like empathy or I feel like I see the possibility of changing. And I used to really care about right and wrong because if you were wrong, you went to hell. If you're right, you go to heaven. But then a friend of mine a few years ago, we were arguing about something. I literally, it was like someone had a, a lady got a tattoo of a barcode and we were debating whether or not that could be actually scanned or not. And I think I ended up being right. And he said, there are a million ways to be wrong. And that just deflated the stakes. It was like, we were fighting, like, who's going to be right? It, It mattered so much. And then he's like, well, there are a million ways to be wrong. And I think that approach to life is so much healthier. Be like, I'm, I'm going to be wrong. I want, I'm, there are a million ways to do it. I can't live a perfect, like, right, 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 right. right life. So embrace being wrong because then you learn something. Oh, I tried this. I was wrong. So many people are so afraid of being wrong. I think, oh, man, just in terms of, like, even what we believe, uh, like, about from as little as, like, reaction to a piece of pop culture, like, I like, I didn't like this show. I like this show. I liked it for these reasons to something bigger of like, here's my philosophy on gun violence. Like we're all kind of just believing the least we have to believe in order to not be ostracized from the group. <laughs> well, <laughs> like, totally. Oh, I, I, what opinions am I? Okay. I'm up to date on this. I'm up to date on that. And it's like, just think about it. Be in touch with your own desire word you used and mm-hmm. lead with love rather than from a place of fear because a politics a politic built on fear isn't going to get us anywhere. Well, love. I mean, love. love. I mean, listen, I believe it was um, the philosopher um, RuPaul who, um, when introducing Lonnie Loves, just said, let me hear you say love. And then, you know, I think that really resonated. And I think a lot of people heard that and they were like, you're right. You know? It's so, I took her, his master class over the pandemic and uh, there, I mean, there was definitely some like funny moments where it's like, okay, that you're just goofing off. But he does say some, I don't know, some people I think are really in tune. It feels, it's cheesy. It feels cheesy until you're like- Did RuPaul actually do a master class? RuPaul did a master class. <gasps> what was the subject? I, uh, kind of, there were some makeup tutorials uh, at the end, but it was okay. more about kind of like finding your voice, finding oh. your inner self. Um, oh, interesting. Okay, okay. Like how drag helped her, and she came, uh, he came back to like finding your frequency, and once you know that, you like everything starts to make sense rather than trying oh. to be at another pace. And I think that's why part of why he's been able to be successful is like this is who I am, and I apply that to this and this and this and this. Right, and I, I come back to that a lot. Whenever I'm feeling like, yeah, like, oh, maybe I'm not suited to be doing like stand up every night and like commuting into the city and staying up till 1 a.m. That might not be my frequency. Don't tell anybody. 
I'm like, oh, I should like write and think at home. Yay. Right, right. Well, it's funny, even you mentioned, you know, like this idea of so few people are comfortable being wrong, but I like, I think being a stand-up actually is so an exercise in that because you are, you are going on stage all the time and figuring out not even, you know, wrong is not even necessarily like maybe the best analogy for this or best language for this, but even just like getting up on stage and being like, well, this worked. And then these things did not. So, ooh, I guess I'm, I'm figuring out all the time sort of what's not resonating with people and then feeling that and holding on to that yeah. and then moving on anyway. I mean, stand-up, I think, is a total exercise on that. That's so interesting. I hadn't thought to use the other language of right and wrong, of finding when someone thing like works and doesn't work. Like that's why, right I, I mean, right. I think, yeah. I think that's, so, that's a big part of the device of stand-up, I think. And what makes it so scary. Oh, what's so liberating to me, and maybe don't tell the world this, but like the stand-up failing is funny. It's all funny. True. The stand-up succeeding is funny. The stand-up failing is funny. If you like, if you are on the stand-up side. Like, so I feel very blessed that for whatever reason, I like come off as... (laughs) Saying this is not likable, but I come off as like likable. Yes, or, like, you do. Yes, you do. <laughs> and I grossly underestimated that. And when someone told me that, I was like, oh, I can get away with a lot. Or they like seeing me fail and know I've failed. They don't mind it for whatever reason. I guess because I'm not uh, like my persona is not like a douchebag or evil. If a, if a, if a stand up's like more evil and failing, we don't like that. But if I'm like of good and an underdog and up there if i tell you a joke that makes you laugh that's success if i tell you if i try a joke and it fails and i'm like well that failed then they laugh too yes it's true i think um but i think that's all totally about uh again a choice like a desire of like deciding to frame something that way because i think there are people who not getting that laugh is so um it will so deteriorate at, the, at their insides. Like for some people, it is, it is unconscionable to get up on stage and not do well. And then, you know, um, to have a set not go well will eat at them for, I don't know, however long, or they'll think about like, oh my God, I can't believe this thing didn't land. Like there, there, I think what you're describing is totally about you having sort of the emotional wherewithal to like make a choice of like, uh, this will, this will, be enjoyable at the very least, regardless of what happens. Oh, yeah. Or even, I feel lucky, it's just reps. It's just doing it over and over. And it's knowing, like, I know this crushes. It didn't crush. That's not my ego. It's like, maybe something weird happened that night, or they were tired. There's so many reasons people don't laugh. Right. That, like, blaming yourself is only part of it. Although you can take some ownership. Oh, maybe I mumbled that word. I'll get them next time. Yes. Closer to like sports in that way. Um, yeah, you are building I, a muscle. It's true. Oh, it is, oh, it's 100% a muscle. Yes. It's, yeah. And it's fun to be on the other side of the first years. You have a delusion when you first start that you're really funny. And then you spend, but you also a core of who you are. And then you spend years trying to hone and perfect and find that again. And then finally, you can like click back into some version of who you were, but now it's much smarter. Like now I know, oh, I had this thought and it's uh, funny to me, but it's not going to work. Because right. 
Stand-up is a very particular manipulation of the audience and the order of things and how you say them and the specific words and facial expressions like all combined together to make something funny. Like I, I now have a decent sense of like, oh, that's a tweet. That's right. Or that's a, a joke that would work auditorially on stage where you don't know where it's going. Although I did have a thought the other night that sometimes they just, it just doesn't work. But then you know why it doesn't work. I feel like a doctor yeah. with a sick patient with a, a bad joke or a joke that's not working is a sick patient. And you're going to do all you can to try to save it. Some of them you let go. Some of them you get healthy and they live a good long life until they, they die of old age when you get yes. tired or you murder them because you're tired of them. Yes. Well, and wait, how long have you been doing stand up now? I'm clocking in five years. It was a very New York thing. I like did improv and sketch in Chicago and I was like, new city, new art form. Uh, and so it took- Was that because you were tired of doing sketch and improv? Is that why? I liked it. It was very much because of the business structure of it. Like to do improv in New York at the time, you started at the bottom of an improv ladder and mm-hmm. I didn't want to pay $3,000 to do improv classes with 21 year olds. Like I'd done improv and performed on- cruise ships and paid my dues and I was ready. So you can't, if you, when you first get here, they start you all at the bottom because they wanted your two, $3,000. So I switched to stand up, which dear God, thank God. Like that actually taught me improv is great and fun. And I love ensemble and I love being in the moment. And I use a lot of those skills in my stand up. but stand up forces you to have opinions about things, write jokes, which are valuable skills in develop a point of view in other ways. Right. Like now I know how to write a joke and I can, that informs TV scripts or feature scripts or uh, my stand-up material or things I put online. Like being able to yes and someone's crazy idea is beautiful and valuable in lots of places. Um, but I, I've enjoyed stand-up as a home. Who knows? I might like switch to violin tomorrow. Um, and I hope so. Here's hoping. Are you, did you do Second City stuff in Chicago? Yeah, that was like the the big dream of that community. I, well, because when you mentioned doing cruise ships, were you doing Boat Co? Uh, we didn't, yeah, I don't think we called it that, but yeah, I did. Uh, two, That's what they called uh, it in Toronto. With uh, Second City. Oh, wow. Back when, yeah, before they screwed the pooch on those deals. Uh, but, and so how long were you doing that? Because those fucking, I had friends who did those ship contracts and those were rough. Oh, really? I did uh, one four-month one and then one that was uh, almost five or six, yeah. Oh, then, uh, my God. That's a long time to be on a boat. It's a long time to be on a boat. Oh. See, everyone thinks that, like, oh, but you're on a cruise ship and that's so great. It's like, no, my friends have described it. They're like, it kind of just feels like you're on, like, a floating jail cell. Because mm-hmm. you're like, your room is super small. And then you kind of are just in the lurch of doing shows every night, but then you're detached from your own life. So like you lose, so not in like prison, you lose all sense of time. You're in this small little cell. And then it's like, and then you just, you're like, wow, I'm just like drinking all the time. What is happening? It was great training for the pandemic, actually. There's a lot of parallels between sort of living, in unknown time periods, feeling trapped. Uh, yeah, I wish I'd kept a journal then. I've been trying to write about it, but I, I look back on it 
fairly fondly. I was living the dream because the first contract was great. I was my first time like getting paid to do comedy. Right. I, I was like worshiping Second City. They were the end all be all. I, I could do no wrong. Shows every night. Like it was very challenging and satisfying in a lot of ways. And then the second one, I didn't need to do that. That was yeah. a mistake. Yeah. I lived, I had a room. I think having a roommate was the real challenge. Like I lived in a tiny room and I had another human, which like oh, we yeah. were treated the best of a lot of employees. Like that's the other thing. Like cruise ships are just like really taxing experiences for all of the crew. If you go on a cruise ship, please tip, please take care of everyone. They're yes. the hardest people in the world. Oh. The accommodations are, you're living like on top of people. Um, like it's, 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 uh, 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 I think a terrible industry, but I'll, yeah, I think it's a terrible industry. <laughs> no, it is. It, 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 no one's getting paid enough ever. No one's getting treated properly. It's, uh, yeah, no, not good. And so I feel lucky in that way to have been like some, we were always less than passengers, but we were like treated a little better than like, uh, the stewards or, um, hosts, uh, like we were able to eat in different restaurants. So that was like a weird part. Learning that world was strange. And it's like a weird class structure. Oh, a hundred percent. And, Ugh. uh, but yeah, there's probably repressed. There's probably trauma from that. I haven't fully processed, but I was grateful to be working. Um, and some cool art happens. I would go back on one and do like a week of stand up, uh, for sure. If anybody wants to hire me. <laughs> I, you would, eh? Hey. I mean, there it is. There it is. Are you, um, so now talk me, talk to me about this book here because first of all, so tell everybody the title again. Title of my book is, Is It Hot in Here or Am I Suffering for All Eternity for the Sins I Committed on Earth? And it is coming out when? It uh, should be out later this fall. It's available for pre-order now. Um, you go to zach-zimmerman.com to get uh, pre-order. It's on your local bookstore, you can get it on Bookshop, Barnes and Noble, Amazon, etc. But we also have to emphasize the pre-order is really the thing that's crucial for an author. The pre-order is, so is very, very important. So for anyone who thinks they might like to get the book, now is the time to jump on this and don't, you know, obviously look, if, you, if that's what you can swing, buy the book when it comes out, wonderful. But now is also a great time to sort of support Zach because people, publishing houses and everybody, they really pay attention to those pre-order numbers. Oh, wait, I didn't really fully think that. You're right. <laughs> I know they all, they all, that first week is, it all counts towards that first week in yes. terms of like a bestseller list yes. or whatever, which there's tons of versions of whatever success looks like. For me, I told my mom this, I was like, I just wanted to do well enough that I get to write another one. And she's like, well, that's silly. You could just still write another one. Like you shouldn't stop writing. And I was touché. like, that's kind of brilliant, mom. So that's touche. But I'm definitely going to be putting on my promo hat over the next uh, four months to, uh, to, to get the word out about it. And it's a fun book. It's, well, yeah, what's it, what is it's it about? Bad. So it's structured as a collection of essays on uh, religion, family, work, and love. Um, so little, little polished nuggets of stories about, um, me and my mom, that's, we come back to her a couple times, me and, uh, sort of failed relationships from my first and only successful three-way 
to a three-year relationship I had a, had that ended when I got dumped on a plane. Oh um, my God. And then along the way, I've got some uh, humor pieces uh, like satire and lists that kind of break up some of the sadder stuff uh, into funny lists like red flags you'd see on a date or uh, I pulled some of my favorite New Yorker pieces and put them in print in there as well and some surprises along the way. So I hope it's a fun experience to read. So the the best compliment I've got, it's on, there's like some reviewers can access it on NetGalley, a site, and someone said uh, that my writing held them hostage in the best possible way. And Ooh, so that was a big compliment. That's um, a very good compliment. Yeah, so I, I hope, for me it's, yeah, I, I'm excited to share it, because it's, stand-up is phenomenal, and I love, you know, jokes per minutes, but uh, there's a, I have a melancholy to me and some like other thoughts and experiences and things I think about that I think the essay form um, is a better place to play with those. Uh, and so I well, hope it affects people and I hope people enjoy it and feel seen. I hope people seen. feel seen. People feel, and that's just gonna be my blurb at the back of the book. I felt seen. Felt seen. Um, I felt seen, but I'm curious when you do though write something because I think you know stand up obviously, really I think maybe even just largely speaking things that live on stage different than things that are sort of like concrete written, you know, things that can sort of like live beyond the moment that you see them that night. Uh, the level of permanence there, understandably, is quite different, and so I'm wondering how does your, you know, for example, if you'd say that you're writing about your mom, how does she feel about? living in kind of a more sort of permanent version for people to sort of like receive and intake and react to like and I'm kind of assume there needs to be a conversation about like so mom I will be writing these things and these are the things I'm gonna be talking about and how does that go over I feel lucky we've had like dress rehearsals for this moment and I wanted to write a piece a few years ago about her and the title was I love my homophobic mom the mm -hmm. way some people hold up like I love my gay son paintings or right, pictures right. and she was like I'm not homophobic and we had a long conversation oh, we started to I mean weirdly the art has helped our relationship in a way I think and so talking to her about what goes in the piece what she does believe because I want her to feel represented in what she does believe because I think there's a tension within her like she's having to grapple with these huge supernatural beliefs she has and what she believes about the world and still loving her child and what that love looks like. Like she's a fascinating character. And so I want her to feel not spoken down to or dunked on, but mm -hmm. present things honestly and realize like it's my point of view of my experiences. And so we've done that twice now. Once uh, the, the New Yorker piece I wrote over the pandemic, there was the interesting element of like a a fact checker was like calling her like did you say this did you say that and so now I've got the the book and uh and she knows I write I think from a place of love and I've sent a copy to her um I was more worried about my father because I share a lot about our dynamic and he's more averse to the spotlight my mother like loves a little bit of the fairy dust when like a right. TikTok about her goes viral or has some traction she's like calling me up and tickled numbers. yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, I think uh, I've shared it with the people that I've given them heads up and let them know that I'm going, talking about certain things that are important to me. Um, but yeah, my goal is not to cause damage to any of my relationships. Um, 
but I think when you <laughs> when you are friends with or related to a writer, you have to realize your interactions with them might be sacrificed for greater insight that's shared elsewhere in the world. Um, but there's also so much power in making someone anonymous. Like my right. editor was very nervous. I was going to get sued by, I think, overly nervous. And so we just changed lots of names of people. Um, Perfect. Like all my hook, all the little, there's a story called The Twink on the Fire Escape that tells a story about this early. Different than The Twink in Toronto. Different, fundamentally, Different. but but similar. Um, and so we ended up changing his name from Tyler to Michael or something. I was like, I don't know who this, per- I don't know where they are, who they are. They're not going to see this book. Like, they're not going to sue me from telling this uh, story about when we hooked up. But for her safety, we, we changed the name of a couple people. Well, and has your mom read the passages that she's involved in? What, how she felt? Sent her the book them? and she said, I don't need to hear about your sex life. And I was like, fair enough. Fair. Maybe the flag fair. Those chapters. Yeah. Yep. Um, but uh, I feel, I don't think she finished it. So the, last, the only book they read is the Bible. So for them to have gotten through some of it, it's funny how, I'm sure something will, Sedaris says this in his masterclass, I've taken all the masterclasses, like what people are bothered by, you can't really predict. Mm-hmm. So all you can do is your best effort. Like I thought my mother was going to be shut down this one thing I'm sharing. I like found some sex pamphlets as a kid in their bedroom. And I was like, she's going to hate that I'm like sharing this. And I could see a world where if she hated that, I could have deleted it because it wasn't <laughs> that formative it was just really funny to me um and she didn't mind that at all but i'm sure there's some aside that i've said that will bug her like oh i i don't have blonde hair or like right, you can't really right, predict right. what it is so all you can do is right it to fear and love what we talked about you can't like be afraid of how someone's going to receive something just like lead with love it's all in the spirit of humor and insight and it, hopefully it's a joyous object that exists in the world none of it's written out of spite or malice um and hopefully people receive it in that way well and it echoes the sentiment that uh nora efron said while she was alive to make bring speak to your point about you know careful about being friends or knowing a writer is like she lived by this adage that was passed on from her mother which was everything is copy Everything is copy. It's like, whether you want it to be or not, everything gets filtered through your brain, your life, and it winds up in your stories. And you are writing about yourself and the people that you know at every single turn. So it's like, for people who are going to befriend writers, it's like, you, you had best watch yourself. In moments when I've been bothered by that, I've mentioned to a friend, like, I feel bad. I, I'm like, I want to go, I might go home to this event and... I know it's going to be like something I might want to write about and I feel bad using other people for that. And they're like, no, when you write about something, that means it's important to you. You want to think about it's it. True. It matters to you. You think there's something there. Um, I'd agree with everything's copy. Copy to me is to sell something. And so that makes me a little scared of it. What if everything's wisdom or everything's like a joke? Or, or yeah, everything's material. Material. Yeah. Ugh content that that word material is nice too everything is a chance to learn and grow 
I honestly love that. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Pastor Zach. That is perfect. Literally. That's beautiful. Now, you have, you have to say the name of the book one more time so that people go and pre-order it right now. Uh, is it hot in here book.com is probably the cleanest way to, to hear about it. Because if you Google, is it hot in here, which is a pretty common phrase, the number one book named that right now is a book on menopause, which can be very valuable to some people, but I would like them to also buy my book, please. Please. And, and don't just constantly listen to hot in here by Nelly from 2002. I there's, I'm going to have to enter on stage to that. You have to, it's the law. Like it is the law. law. <laughs> and let people know. So you are at, is it ZZ double Z? Wait, what's your, what's your Twitter handle? Uh, ZZ, the word double, and then ZZ again. Perfect. So people should follow you there for like updates about you and shows. Sure. And the all my clips. That's the same handle on Instagram and TikTok. Lots of little stand-up clips and stuff too. Perfect. Uh, and I feel the urge to say like, DM me something, but don't. Don't. y'all are unhinged don't DM. i mean i guess shoot your shot but don't be weird people are so weird in the dms just send love you know what send how about love. everyone stop thinking that they're so goddamn clever with every single thing that they dm just be a nice person stop being an idiot nice is the guiding some people will neg you and try to no. be mean no someone in if they ever hear this i'm coming for you someone in chicago Came to my show, posted a twink or no? Story. I have no idea his story. <laughs> and they posted, he's a six, but he's funny. Ten. Like, That's, why are you calling me a six while trying to compliment me? Get out of here. Be that, nice. Yeah. I don't know you, stranger. And, you know, and I'm sure he's such a quality person, too. I'm sure he's such a quality person to write they something like that. They're trying to be. They're, when people Ugh. try to be funny that are not trained comedians, they end up being mean, I think, or, or in this un, unintelligible. So just, just be real. <laughs> be everyone, be real, be nice, lead with love. That's the, that, is, that is how we will end this. I'm thrilled that we properly had a chance to talk. Oh, the, thanks for having me, Liam. Well, because the, the last time I saw you on this screen, remember you did that little like, super small little trial show on zoom in the early early pandemic days to like try out some material do you remember that oh yeah thank you for joining that that was super um, it was my pleasure and listen now this is the professional part of the show everyone go follow zach across all social media you are going to pre-order his book you are going to follow him on social media maybe you'll do the same with me at liam garrow and zach we want people to rate review and subscribe to this show and this is the big thing that i tell people I'm not interested in anything under five stars. I'm just not. <laughs> and even if you want to write, even if you don't like the show, rate it five stars and then just write in your actual blurb how you really feel. I'm fine with that. I actually don't mind that at all. How funny. No, not unlike your five pre-order. Stars. This is trash. Truly. Not unlike your, the pre-order for your book. We're just interested in supporting the algorithms. That's all we're trying to do here. We just want to boost those algorithms. <laughs> um, but thank you so much for doing this. You are a delight to speak with. Hopefully we can bump into each other in person whenever our paths should cross. Maybe if ever you should find yourself in Vancouver or myself in New York. Oh, I'd love that. Thank you, Liam, for having me. Appreciate it. My pleasure. It. Have a lovely rest of your day, Zach. You too. Take it easy. Bye.